Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Yeah, you guys have a seat. Thank you, Jenna. Um, so you guys are excited, right? Because, uh, you know, we've been walking through Revelation. I know, you know, we're kind of in the first few chapters and we're walking through those early little bits of it and everybody's got the same kinds of things on their minds, right? We're, when are we going to get to the, 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 the Antichrist, the beast? Who is the beast? What is the mark of the beast? What does 666 mean? All those kinds of things, right? And guess what, guys? We got all the answers today. It's great. You're going to figure everything out today and you're going to know. You're going to know how to go home and um, tell all your friends and call your grandpa and tell them, you know, what the number means and all that good stuff. Um, no, seriously, uh, I do think, I think, I hope, I pray, and I have prayed that uh, you would leave here today. Um, like, like we wanted really with this whole entire Revelation series, not so much uh, knowing that you've cracked the code, but knowing that you know Jesus and that you can walk out there and live your life for him glorifying him above all the kings of this earth. And, and that's really kind of the point today. Um, this is a chapter, Revelation 13, we're just going to jump right in. This is a chapter about counterfeits. This is a chapter about our, our worship being, often we are tempted in our worship to give our worship to things, to people, to entities, to powers that are not King Jesus, right? And uh, this is an interesting chapter because Really uh, not much is said about God himself, Christ himself in this chapter. We're really just focusing on these two very interesting, very kind of scary beast figures. Uh, and, and really, I just want to kind of make this clear from the outset. These beasts, they are counterfeits. Anybody ever uh, tried to kind of do something, be something that you're not? Raise your hand. I mean, honestly, if you just kind of tried to be somebody you're not at times. Yeah, um, I, I've done that. I remember in middle school. I was, you know what, I was kind of a, a, an awkward kid. Like a lot of middle schoolers, I went through certain phases trying to be certain things, right? Um, you know, I had phases of wearing different kinds of clothes and, and talking differently depending on what my friend group was like. I remember uh, in the early 2000s, right, when I was in middle school, um, early 2000s, there was this band that was super popular. And at the time, I would never have admitted that I liked this band. Now, as I look back, I'm like, yeah, band, yeah pretty good. Uh, it was NSYNC. Anybody? NSYNC. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Justin Timberlake, who's still pretty famous, but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was like NSYNC. And as a boy, you're like, ah, well, NSYNC's lame or whatever. Cause all the girls, they loved NSYNC. But as a middle school boy, I'm thinking, okay, if all the girls love that dude, I want to do my best to kind of look like that dude, right? Justin Timberlake or Lance Bass or whoever it was. And so, um, I, I had this wild idea one time that I wanted to get my hair like frosted tips, right? Um, yeah, I want to do that. But but uh, my family, we're not, we're not real rich people. And, uh, you know, we couldn't really go to the, the salon, you know, like rich people do, go get their hair cut at salons. Um, so my mom loved to try to cut my hair, and she did that all the time, which is why I grew up pretty much exclusively with an awesome bowl cut. Um, you know, but my mom, like, had, you know, I was like, Mom, you know, do you think you could do this? You know, so we go to Walmart, and she buys a little pack, right, a little frosted tip pack. 
And, uh, and we do, man. We sit in the bathroom, and she puts the cap on, and she pulls the things through, and she does the little whatever. Um, and, I, man, I just look like a moron just sitting there while we're doing it. And we get done, and it's like, I mean, okay, you know, you got some blonde in there. kind of look cool, whatever. And then she was like, okay, now, now I'll cut it and make it also look like, like a cool haircut, and you can kind of spike it up, and it'll look awesome. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And like in your mind, you know, you kind of work this up, and you're like, this is going to be amazing. Like, I'm going to look so good. I'm going to go to school tomorrow, and the girls are going to love me. Um, instead, I went to school the next day. Now, when I was a, I got freckles still, but like when I was a kid, I had lots of freckles. Um, so I just kind of looked like this little Irish boy. So I go to school the next day, and I'm telling you, I did not look like Justin Timberlake. Uh, I looked like a little ragamuffin Irish cheetah. That's what I looked like. Like, it was terrible. I actually ended up with just blonde spots in my head and a jacked-up haircut, man. I mean, my mom could have done it with a machete. It would have looked just as good. And um, it was terrible. It was terrible. Um, but look, this is what happens to us, right, when we just try to be somebody that we're not. When we try to act some way that we're not, when we try to kind of live a counterfeit life, and often we do that as we're younger, maybe even as we get older. But here in this chapter, we see these two figures that rise out of the sea and out of the land uh, that, we, that is very clear to us that these are counterfeits. These two beasts, with, along with the dragon that we met last week out of Revelation 12, and that dragon is Satan. Um, Satan is kind of animating these two beasts to come out of the sea and come out of the land. And along with the dragon, we have these two beasts that are meant to mimic and counterfeit the Trinity of God. That's their job. That is their role. And so Satan, as he wants our worship, and that's what he wants, guys, okay? And we're going to hit on that a lot this morning. As Satan wants our worship to be drawn away from King Jesus, he does his best to put in front of us these counterfeits, these fakes, so that maybe our worship would go to them and in going to them, really going to him, Satan, because it is the dragon who is behind these beasts. And like I said, this is a counterfeit trinity is what we have in this chapter. So let's jump right in. This is Revelation 13. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read the first, uh, 11 ver- or first 10 verses. Let's read together. John says this, he says, And I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? By the way, pause. I love that uh, Jesus kind of gives us this question that people are going to ask. Who is like the beast who can make war against him? Because he's going to show us who can make war against him in a couple weeks. Um, The real Jesus. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb That was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. And if anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword 
he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So this first beast, it's almost identical by the way, to these, this beast that we meet in Daniel chapter 7. By the way, as you're reading through Revelation, read the book of Daniel. It's actually very helpful. Kind of the second half of Daniel is um, very, very, you're going to read through that part of Daniel, and you're going to think, man, this sounds a lot like Revelation. Daniel's one of the most often quoted books of the Old Testament when it comes to end times, prophecies, and, and apocalyptic literature, which again was that word revelation. The word in Greek is apocalypse, right? It's a revealing. It's a showing us what is to come or what is currently happening even, right? So read through Daniel. This, this beast looks very much like this beast that we meet in Daniel. And it's four beasts in Daniel who are beasts of significant political power. So this first beast, y'all, it's the state. This first beast is the state, also known as the Antichrist, also known, if you know your Bible pretty well, in, in 2 Thessalonians, this is called the man of lawlessness. Okay, now to be clear, and I'm going to make this super clear right here at the outset. Some people will have different, uh, kind of differing viewpoints on who exactly this beast is, what exactly this beast is, okay? And, and I think there is room for us to kind of disagree and even debate on that part of it, okay? Like exactly what this is. Um, there is no debate that this beast is going to call for our heart's affections, our worship, and that we need to remain faithful to King Jesus, right? This is the point, and that's beyond contestation. But where we can maybe disagree is just to say, okay, who exactly is this beast? What is this antichrist figure? So I'm going to share with you my viewpoints on this, and I think they are backed up by scripture. Again, you might have different, and we can talk about it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, but there are other very great preachers who would have maybe a little bit different thoughts on, on who he is. Um, but here's what, here's what is clear. The goal of beast number one, the goal of the state, the goal of this political power, whoever this is, whatever this is, is to replace Jesus as the object of our worship. That is his goal. And like I said uh, earlier, he is kind of uh, animated by the dragon himself. Satan is behind the power of this beast, this anti-Christ. And it says he has a head wound. So here's where I'm starting to think, okay, what does this head wound mean? What is this all about? He talks about some sort of resurrection that this beast seems to go through. He's got this head wound and people see that he's resurrected. So if this beast is the state, if this beast would represent all kinds of political power, political entities, isn't it true that political power is hard to kill? Isn't it true that throughout the centuries we have seen as one uh, political entity, as one kingdom, as one nation falls, what happens? Another rises quickly in its place. And it's almost like this idea of government, of world power, of the kingdoms of men ruling over the hearts of men is a very difficult thing to get rid of. And we know this, that as we read the New Testament, what do, we, what do we learn about the kingdoms of this world? We learn that really, since Jesus has now come, that he has essentially given a death blow to the kingdoms of men. That, that it has become clear to us, like take the book of Ephesians where it says that Jesus now rules over all powers and authorities in every nation, right? Forevermore, that it is Jesus, it is King Jesus who has ended for all time the power of the state. And yet, the, the power of the state seems to still be alive and well in this world, does it not? Seems to have resurrected over the centuries again and again and again. Look, if the first century readers would read this, who would they immediately think that this beast is? This is Rome or the emperor, Caesar, 
right? That's who this is. Now, did that emperor, did Caesar, did Rome last? Is it still a world power? No. And what rose in its place? Other nations, right? A death blow, a wound to the head, and yet this, this beast continues to rise. And we have the, the, the kingdom of England, and then that kind of ends. And we have the kingdom of now America. We even see early 1900s. What do we have? We have Nazism. That ended. It gave rise to what? Communism. That ended. Now we have terrorism, socialism, right? All these things continue to die and resurrect. And this is the nature of this beast to continue to draw the hearts of the church and all people around the world to go, oh yeah, Jesus said that he was king. And yet, where is he? He's not here. I'm here. Right? I, I'm, listen, I'm not saying because, I, 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 again, this is the way I, that I read it. I'm not saying this isn't one particular human being who's going to rise at some point to be this beast, to be this antichrist figure. Um, but I am saying what, whatever this is and whoever this is, it is at least clear that it is his intent to make it seem like our worship to him is good and right. And even to kind of beckon us to say, look, I, I'm, I'm your Messiah now. I'm your savior. This Jesus that you worship, he, he, he said that he's going to return and maybe it'll be somebody that says, I'm, I'm him, I'm back. Now listen, church, if ever you are wondering if there is a person in the world who is claiming to be Christ, who is claiming to be the return Messiah, let me just make this real clear. If he needs to tell you that he is Jesus, he ain't Jesus. You got it? Period. If it needs to be said, oh, that's who I am. I'm the Messiah. I have returned. I, and by the way, this is what Thessalonians was about. Paul writes First and Second Thessalonians because there was, there was a lot of controversy about this. He had already returned, some people said. And they were starting to kind of lose their faith or, or be lazy in their faith because maybe I missed it or whatever. And this letter of Revelation is written to us to let us know, no, no, no. Anybody that's saying they come in the name of Jesus or that they are Jesus or that they have set themselves up to be worshipped as Messiah, as Lord... That ain't him. He's a counterfeit. And we give our hearts and our allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. But again, this is the great attractiveness of the Antichrist, the first beast, the state, is that as Christ seems to delay, he reminds us, I'm here. I, I, I have your best interests at heart. And this is why the steadfastness of our hope in Jesus, guys, this is the central idea of Revelation. The steadfastness of our hope in Jesus, the steadfastness of our worship to Jesus, the steadfastness of our faith in Jesus. And the call to the church in the world is that wherever this beast sets up its pseudo reign and, and its comfortable blasphemy in this world, that we would refuse to let our hearts be led astray to the worship of the beast. So this beast, this antichrist, it is any earthly person, entity, or government that seeks to supplant God in the hearts of men. And this happens very subtly, very insidiously. Look, listen, if this beast is an actual human being that shows up one day and gets shot in the head, 
and then raises from the dead, or at least seems to raise from the dead, and then goes, hey, I'm back from the dead. Everybody worship me. And oh, by the way, if you worship me, you need to get a tattoo on your hand or on your forehead or get this microchip or whatever. Listen, if that's the way it goes down, praise God, because he made it easy for us, right? That's obvious. That's what I'm saying. If that goes down like that, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for making that very clear and obvious. Satan's that stupid to make him that obvious. I'm just saying, I think it's maybe a little bit more insidious than that. Maybe this beast is currently in this world, all over this world, as just political power calling us to just say, look, hope in me. I have the answers. I'll make it all right. I'll give you what you need. I'm your Messiah. And then there's the second beast who kind of makes this even worse for us because the second beast is false, Jesus-less religion. Um, Chapter 16, chapter 19, chapter 20 of Revelation call this beast the false prophet. I'm not gonna read through the whole section. Jenna read it just a minute ago. That's 11 through 18. And the goal of this beast, the second beast, is to convince us to worship the first beast. That's, That's what the second beast does. And so this is any, listen, This is any preacher who would point to a political party more than they point to Jesus. This is any religious institution, any religious leaders in this world who would make it the goal of their ministry to send the hearts and minds of people to the kingdoms of this world for their hope. And we might sit there and think, man, this is kind of crazy that anybody would do this. But I know, and probably you know just as well as I do, that when COVID hit last year in 2020, and I was watching stuff on Facebook just like y'all were, and I was watching preachers. Actually, I, I know some of these people who were preaching sermons, pointing us to Donald Trump as our hope. That right there is beastly. That has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Guys, I don't care, and I want to hit more on this in just a second, but I don't care which side of the aisle you fall on. If your party or your person or your king or whoever that is that you're looking to as the one that would have your vote, if they also have your heart to the point that they have your worship, that's beast. And there is no reason that we as the church should be looking to anyone higher than Jesus Christ with our allegiance and our worship and the hope that we have in this world. No one's gonna solve our, do you really believe that whoever the next person is after Biden is gonna solve your problems in your life? Do you really believe that they're gonna fix it all if you vote one way or the other. Look, I'm not saying we can't vote for our candidates. I have preferences and I have opinions about who we should vote for. But the point is that as w- when we, as, as, as preachers and as leaders in the church begin to point you, guys, just beware. And I'll say this, if at East Ridge Church you ever show up and we preach a sermon about who you should vote for because he's God's guy, leave. Get out. Because we have very far straight away from who this scripture calls us to be as the church, to give our allegiance to King Jesus and him alone. It says that this beast would be marked by false teachings and false signs. 
any teachings which are not in line with the true biblical Jesus glorifying truth that ultimately leads us to worship the beast. That's what this, this false prophet will give us. And guys, these people, again, this false prophet, I believe it's, it's less about one specific person and it's so much more about religion as a whole setting itself up to, uh, to kind of give a foundation for the state, to give a foundation for the political kingdoms of this world so that we would then turn our hope to them. It says even signs would strengthen this delusion. Guys, false religion can be full of all kinds of miracles, all kinds of signs. Jesus said this. There would be people that come to him on the last day who prophesied and who did miracles and healed in his name. And Jesus will tell them what? Get away from me. I do not know you. Because it's not about the signs and the miracles and the wonders. We are told to really judge one thing and one thing only. It's the fruit of people's lives. Not the miracles, not the gifts that they display. And so as you, the Bible calls us, right, to have wisdom, to have discernment about these things. I'm just, I want to kind of lay this out for us this morning. Be careful as you listen to men and women in this world who claim religious authority, that if they are pointing you to anyone but Jesus, they are false. They are false. And so this beast, the second beast, calls for a mark to be given to all who would worship the first beast so that they can live in normal society. It says the number is 666. It says he wants to give a mark. The number is 666. Now, we've said this as we've kind of gone throughout this series, that numbers have very significant meaning. All throughout the Bible, numbers have very significant meaning. Uh, then we see numbers like the number three, the number seven, the number 12, Things like that crop up over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. And we know this, that the number seven and the number three both really represent what? Completion and perfection. So we got Trinity, three, seven, seven, seven would be perfect completion. If we had three sevens, that would be perfect perfection, complete completion. But if we have three sixes, what is this beast? Here's what he is. He is completely imperfect. This is complete imperfection. This is, this is blasphemy to say that this is the Trinity of God because this beast, this dragon-inspired first beast, second beast, false Trinity, this is nothing but a counterfeit God. Nothing but fool's gold. They are completely incomplete. They are perfectly imperfect. That's the point of this number. The, the symbolism is so clear for us. And guys, I, I know throughout history, I've studied some of these things. Throughout history, people have done really hard work to try to take that number, that 666, and spend all their time and energy just figuring out what that number could mean and who that person could be. And I actually had a professor in college who kind of did this experiment. He put 666 up on the board and he kind of took Hitler's name and like made a little thing out of it and like took the letters and made numbers out of it. He's like, oh, it's 666. And then he took Barney. And he did the same thing, right? And then he did this with like all sorts of other names. Like you could make it mean whatever you want it to mean. The point is, this is a counterfeit God. This is a God that sets itself up for our worship that is not the perfect, complete Jesus. And it says that this mark should be given to everybody who worshiped the first beast on where? Their hand and their head. Their hand in their head. What is that? Guys, this is clearly a reference to the Shema. The Shema 
in Deuteronomy chapter six was sort of the the ethical uh, motto of God's people in the Old Testament. I want to read it to you. This is, this is the Shema from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the thing that the Jews would recite over themselves and over their families constantly. Here's what it says. You'll, you'll probably recognize it as I read it. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is worship, right, to God. This is worship to God. He is one. No other gods before him. Then he says this. These commandments that I give to, to, to you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I just want to stop there. So as he talks about this this mark of the beast, this 666 mark or the number of his name or his name or whatever this is being put on our hands and on our heads. What does that mean? It means this. What does the head represent? It represents belief. It represents ideology. The head, the mind, this is what we believe. And the hand clearly represents practical application of that belief. When the Jews read the Shema, they understood that this was what God was talking about. Write this stuff on your hands and write this stuff. God was not telling them to literally tattoo their hands and tattoo their foreheads and put these things. He was saying, believe this and live it out. That my words, that the words of God Almighty should be the thing that you set deeply within your mind and your heart as your worship every day. And then practically on your hands to live and work according to what my word says. And so when Jesus gives us this word in Revelation, he's just saying, this is what the beast is going to call you to. This is what the state is going to call you to. This is what the culture that you live in is going to call you to. That your affections and the worship of your mind and the application of your hands would come out of you because you would give yourself over to the ideologies of this world and not to Jesus. This is worship of the beast. To live your life submitting yourself to the culture that you live in, to the political climate that you live in or to give yourself over to the ideals of a certain party or a certain side, a certain ruler, a certain king, a certain government. Guys, this is, this is about worship. And whether or not this, is, this mark is any actual physical thing that's going to come at some point, again, if it is, praise God, because that's easy. But if it's not, maybe it's just a mindset and maybe it's a life practical application that we play out. And guys, this has happened all over the world for 2,000 years. I believe that every generation of Christians has been able to read this and see that this right here is happening now. This is not something that the first century Christians, as they were reading this, were going, oh, maybe in 2,000 years, it'll be that guy. It'll be that, but no, they were reading it going, this is going down. We don't want to give our minds and our hands to the ideologies of our culture. And the third century Christians could read it that way. And the 10th century Christians could read it that way. And the 1940s Christians in Germany could read it that way. And the 2021 Christians right here in America, we can read it this way, that there is a culture and an ideology calling for our worship and that we would just simply say, no, my head and my hands, they belong to Jesus and not to anyone else.
This is a question of who do you belong to? Who has the affections of your heart, which are played out in your beliefs, in your behavior? Where is your allegiance? Let's just, can we just talk for a second? Look, wherever you fall, on either side of a political issue at large or on the the aisle of conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, whatever. (sighs) From my perspective, I will say this. Democrats, Republicans, left, right. They can rightfully say, you can rightfully say, if you vote either one of those ways, that at least some of the ideals of that party are good and right. And even in line with biblical teaching, at least some of the ideas, that's all I'm saying, at least some of the ideals of each of those parties, some, but, but when those parties begin to draw from you, not just your vote, but your affections and your heart and your worship, they become the beast. And look, you can fly the flags, you can wear the shirts and the bumper stickers, you can post the Facebook things, you can give your money away to these things, you can believe that your candidate is God's chosen man, that he or she can do no wrong. Listen, that is the mark of the beast, and some of you have it right now. Because your heart and your mind, your affections, your allegiance has been given to a king that's not Jesus. I don't care if it's Trump, if it's Biden, if it's the next person or who it is or what it is. If it's not Jesus, it's the beast. So what's the point? The point is this. Satan wants your worship, guys. He wants your worship. This is the point of this earthly battle. It says that he wages war against the saints, right? This is a battle going on on the earth, and he will use politics and false religion to get the worship from you that he wants. We all want to believe that we're on the right side, don't we? We all want to believe that, that we're on the right side of political issues and, and all those kinds of things. And again, I do think there's uh, ways that we should be looking at certain things and probably fall on one side or the other on a lot of these issues. But, but, I think Satan uses these things to, again, draw our hearts away from Jesus. Think about this. Revelation 12 called Satan a dragon. Y'all, a dragon is scary, Nobody's going to worship the dragon. Like if Satan just showed up and he looked like a dragon and he's all scary and all this crazy stuff, we'd be like, no, I'm not worshiping you. But what if instead he raises up people that smile and look really nice and wear suits and stand in front of you on TV and promise you things and say, I have the answers. I can help you. I can fix this. I can make this better. And what if he uses religion that would come up under that and say, yeah, 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 that's the guy, that's the person, that's the one, let's, let's lift him up. That's Jesus's man, that's God's man, that's their person. And what if you would use these smiling human figures in our culture and around the world to get from you the very thing that he always wanted, your heart, your worship, not to Jesus, but to him. And verse eight says one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Revelation 13, 8. It says, every 
person who does not belong to Jesus will worship the beast. It's not a question. In fact, it actually says you worship the beast because your name's not in his book, Jesus' book. It doesn't say your name's not in the book because you worship the beast. It says you worship the beast because your name's not in the book. I think it just calls for us to examine where our allegiance is. Now, I do want to say this. Listen, if as I share these things and you're thinking, maybe that is me, maybe I have put way too much allegiance, too much stock in these earthly kingdoms or whatever other things, I don't think this is beyond repentance. It doesn't say that you have to keep worshiping the beast. It doesn't say that you have to keep giving yourself over to the politics and the ideologies of the culture that we live in. It, it just simply says that if you are, then you will not enter into eternal life. But if you are, turn away from that and give your heart and your mind, give yourself, give your life to Jesus and let his name be written on your forehead and on your hand as we're actually going to see later in this book of Revelation. So how do we resist? That's just what I want to end with today. How do we resist this, this worship of this beast? How do we resist this? Three things real quick. I'm going to wrap up with this. Number one, we know the real thing, Jesus. How do we resist counterfeits? We know the real Jesus. Uh, if, if you know anything about money, currency, agents, and bakers, bankers, they really don't spend a whole lot of time studying counterfeits. You know what they spend a lot of time studying? Money, real money, real things, so that when they touch a counterfeit, they just know it, that it's fake. You know who loves fool's gold? People who've never held real gold. Fool's gold's beautiful, and it's awesome to people who have no idea what gold really looks like and feels like. The weight of it, right? And so when you pick up something that's fake, that's a counterfeit, it looks great to you. So how do we resist? We know the real Jesus. That's why the first five chapters of Revelation are just pouring out this, this real image, this real person of who Jesus is. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 just tells us to throw off everything that entangles us. That would be the dragon and the beast and everything that they tempt us with. And to fix our eyes on Jesus. Guys, we don't have to spend our time wondering who this beast is. You really don't. You don't have to figure out who the Antichrist is. You don't have to figure out who the false prophet is. You just need to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, when these other people prop themselves up, you will simply go, No! I know him, and you're not him. You will not have my heart. You will not have my worship. It goes to Jesus and him alone. Guys, the church has no reason to be afraid of these beasts and this dragon because to us, they are child's fool's gold. And we know what they look like because we know what Jesus looks like. We know who he is. God, this is why we read our Bibles. This is it. We read the Gospels, and we read the Epistles, and we look at who Jesus really is so that we will never be led astray to a false Jesus, to a false Messiah, to a false Christ. Number two, we persevere through suffering and persecution. How do we resist these beasts? We persevere through suffering and persecution. I don't know if you guys saw that part in Revelation 13 where he said, if anyone is destined to prison, to prison he will go. 
If anyone is destined to be killed with the sword, he will be killed with the sword. And look, I don't want to be a, a downer this morning, but I just, I, I want to tell you the truth because I love you. If it gets to a point where our worship to Jesus will cost us our lives, then it costs us our lives. You know why? Because death ain't the worst thing, y'all. Persecution's not the worst thing. Worshiping the beast is the worst thing. That's the worst thing. And let me die worshiping Jesus. Let me laugh in the face of the beast when it comes for my heart's affections. So we will persevere. And number three, we will worship Jesus alone. We will worship Jesus alone. As these things continue, uh, continue to unfold around us, whether for, listen, it might be another year before Jesus returns. It might be three more seconds. It might be 3,000 more years before he comes back. This is the truth. He's at the door now. The Bible makes this clear. He's at the door. You just picture him standing at the door. He says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and I'm waiting to come in. So in that sense, we understand he's close because he's right on the other side of the door, but he can walk through it whenever he wants to, whether tomorrow or a thousand years from now. And as long as these things continue to unfold, the church will thrive and it will grow, not because we're the most safe or successful people in the world, but because we give our worship and our allegiance to Jesus. We do not measure our success by the standards of this world. We measure our success as Christians by the steadfastness of our worship to Christ Jesus and him alone. That's success. You know the word overcome. In the New Testament, the word overcome is the word Nikeo. It's where Nike gets their word. It's the word Nikeo. It means to overcome. That word is used 28 times in the New Testament. It's used 17 times in this book alone to overcome. And you know what that word is about? That overcoming idea, because I hear people teach this all the time, that overcoming as a Christian is about like, we, we get through any trial coming out on the other side, more successful, more rich, more healthy. That is not what that word is about. When Jesus talked about overcoming, you know what he was talking about? Like in John chapter 16, he was talking about dying while worshiping Jesus. That's overcoming. That's our overcoming, guys. And in this book of Revelation, 17 times Jesus says to the church, overcome that way. We will overcome that way. We will submit to our government, yes, but at any point that our government's commands to us ride in the face of our obedience and our worship of Jesus, we will say no. And then we will submit to whatever punishment they want to give us in that sense. And we will overcome this world by remaining faithful to Jesus to the end. Because death ain't the worst thing. Prison ain't the worst thing. Fines, not the worst thing. Idolatry is the worst thing. And we will not give it up. Church, the beasts of earthly kingdoms and false religion, they will come and they will go but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is why Revelation begins by calling him the Alpha and the Omega, who was and is and is to come, who rules over the kingdoms of the earth. That's who our Jesus is. And so this morning, 
we just want to give you some time, again, just to worship Jesus. And this might look differently for anybody in this room. You can just sit where you're at. Maybe you just need to pray. Maybe you just need to confess that, yeah, maybe my allegiance has been given a little bit more to earthly kingdoms than to Christ Jesus. Maybe you just want to stand and sing and rejoice with us. But I just want to offer you this invitation. That the king who rules over the kingdoms of this earth. He's good. And he's faithful. He is the alpha and the omega. And in the end, those kingdoms will pass away. These beasts... They're not going to enjoy what's coming to them in the next few chapters. But the church, we will remain and we will overcome by our worship to Jesus and Jesus alone. Pray with me. Lord God, we do thank you. We thank you that you have given us this word, that you've given us this revelation so that we could see who Jesus is, that we can understand that we have a king who rules, who reigns forevermore, who has died for the sins of men and who has come back to life and who lives forever and sits at your right side and who will return for us. And God, we confess this morning and I confess that all of us at times we are tempted and we may have even given in to give our affections and our worship away to someone or something who does not deserve it, who is just a counterfeit beast. So God, draw our hearts back to Jesus today. Let us worship Jesus, the one who is worthy, the lamb who was slain, the lion who conquers, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at East Ridge Church.